Words and language. No matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. Now, see that look in Mr. Pitt's eye, like 19th century literature, has nothing to do with going to business school or medical school, right? Maybe. Mr. Hopkins, you may agree with them, thinking, yes, we should simply study our Mr. Pritchard and learn our rhyme and meter and go quietly about the business of achieving other ambitions. A little secret for you. Huddle up. Huddle up! We don't read and write poetry because it's cute. We read and write poetry because we are members of the human race. And the human race is filled with passion. And medicine, law, business, engineering, these are noble pursuits and necessary to sustain life. But poetry, beauty, romance, love, these are what we stay alive for. To quote from Whitman, Oh me, O oh life of the questions of these recurring, of the endless trains of the faithless, of cities filled with the foolish, what good amid these, O oh me, O oh life? Answer, that you are here, that life exists and identity, that the powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse. The powerful play goes on, and you may contribute a verse. What will your verse be? I like to watch, Eve. What do you mean, I like to watch? I like to watch. I'm Don Hall. This is Donnie Smith. And, and this is the I Like to Watch podcast. Yet another podcast about film. We do we'll have... For the first time, no, this is the second time, because David Himmel was our first guest. So this is our second guest reviewer. Um, and so, Donnie, do the, do the honors. For the first time ever, it is my amazing, beautiful, extraordinarily intelligent wife, Dr. Mary Lynn Winkle. Welcome Hi. to the podcast. Hi, everyone. How you doing? I'm good. How are Excellent. you? Excellent. I'm, I'm doing well. We live here, so we're doing great. Well, my... my <laughs> My sister, who has met both of you, because she stayed with you guys when she came to L.A., um, I, I mentioned that we were recording, and she said, oh, Mimi's going to record? Okay, I might actually listen no, to that okay. one. Well, we got one, get one more listener so, this time. Oh, I don't know what I'm in for, because yeah, yeah. I, I listen, and uh, well, we'll see how this goes. <laughs> It's going to go very well. Um, all right. So the movie, the movie that was chosen, um, I, was this your choice, Mary Lynn? It was. Or it, well, did no, it was. It? it was my choice because this this movie smacks. It smells like fall. When you when you watch it, it just I just smell a fall, autumn. That's what I smell. And I knew this was okay. coming up at this time of year for this release of this podcast. Yeah, I really wanted the pick. It's uh, 1989's Dead Poet Society. 
And, you know, because you, uh, you and my wife uh, have been, both are uh, teachers and very inspirational uh, people, uh, inspirational artists, um, yeah, I wanted to uh, pick this film. And I'm happy that Marilyn can, can join us for this. So that's why I picked it. Yeah. I think you were also looking for right, a movie so... that you could bring me in on. <laughs> well, hold on. Well, hold on. Oh, full disclosure, uh, Marilyn, we've talked a little bit about this. And there were certain movies where she's like, well, I'd like to talk about that one. Well, I'd like to talk about that one. And one of them is definitely uh, Wizard of Oz. So when we hit when we yeah, hit that we in, in year is... five, we'll bring Marilyn back. It's why it surprised it's well, it's why it surprised me that you picked Dead Poet Society to have Mary Lynn on because I was absolutely convinced we were gonna do Wizard of Oz. But uh, um, so all right. So when we do finally do Wizard of Oz. Oh, she'll um, be back. And it will be and it, well, it will be it will be in in honor of the new Wizard of Oz they're making the reboot. Yeah, they're making a reboot of the Wizard of Oz. So we will discuss uh, the merits of the original, which is going to always be the best and most amazing, and whatever new thing they come up with. And we might even throw in the Wiz, which I love. So uh, you know, that's just one of those things we can do. But let's get back to the Dead Poet Society. So the first question, the most important question, I do have several questions about this movie <laughs> for you guys, but the most important question for both of you is, why do you like to watch this movie? Marilyn, please. I had a professor in undergrad once, a music theory professor, who said that you know a piece of music is really great when... Not just when you love it the first time, not just when you have an aesthetic experience the first time, but when you love it more and you learn more about it, the more you listen. There are some pieces, you know, there are some pieces of music, right, where you hear the song, you love it that first time, and after a while, it becomes an earworm and you're like, ugh, this is annoying, right? Um, it gets kind of stale. Yeah. This movie for me, I think all art works that way. I think all, you know, our, our experiences with art all work that way. And this movie for me, I, I've grown up with this film. And, you know, I think I encountered it for the first time when I was in high school, um, where I was learning to think for myself. And, you know, I was writing poetry since, you know, third grade. Not that poems were good back then. But... I think, you know, I, 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 in high school, found myself having a deep love of poetry and finding my own voice and loving the opportunity to express my own thoughts and think for myself. And so the movie hit me. And then I was in college and I'm putting myself through college by teaching. And I found myself on the other side, um, you know, in Robin Williams's shoes. And I was like, yeah, that's what I want to do for my students. And so the movie hit me. And then I got to grad school and, um, oh, and along the way too, and along the way I've learned more about who Ralph Waldo Emerson was, who Mark Twain was, who Thoreau was, who Robert Frost is. And so now, like, so as I've grown up with the film, you know, like now, by now I, I can see the movie and I know exactly who he's quoting and not just who he's quoting in in literal speech but i can see now visually moments where um where where the film is quoting a text 
So, for example, when all of the boys are going out into the woods, and there's no dialogue, but we see we see them going into the woods. So, so they're having a Thoreau moment, and then there's a there's a black bird, right? There's a black bird that just like swoops in front of the camera, and why is that bird there? Because that's an Edgar Allan Poe reference, right? Um, so. So there are these so there are these Easter eggs that you see and that you hear not just in the dialogue, um, but in the whole structure of the film, and you know so it's like now I have this academic context, this academic appreciation for the film that I you know I have five pages of notes in front of me. <laughs> but um, well, you you'll probably discover like Donnie does that you get three of those notes out and then afterwards you go, God damn it. What did I had all this to say? It's just kind of how it works. I get it. That's why I stopped taking notes. That's why I just write questions sure, anymore. Sure. Um, so Donnie, why do you? Well, just so you know, one of the things I thought was interesting was uh, Donnie was uh, quoting the movie to me. You know, when he was watching it the first time, and of course, I was hitting him up with just jokes. Right? I was just making. You know, I'm just like I was just joking about it. And he, he, you know, this is your husband who loves you very much. He was like, hey, 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 if you're going to shit on this movie, I'm calling an audible and we're picking a different movie. I said, no, I'm, not, I'm just I'm just busting your nuts. But one of my favorite, one of my favorite, and today we talked about this, is one of my favorite things was that I made the joke. You know, he was talking about quoting Keating about why we have poetry and all this kind of stuff. I said, no. Nah. I said, the only reason people read and write poetry, the only reason people write poetry is the same reason that you play drums, is to get laid. And, you know, I'm making that joke. And then I'm watching the movie today, and Robin Williams confirms for me language was created to woo women. And I was like, oh, <laughs> so I was right. Well, there you go. All right. So it's it's deeper than that too. I mean, it is about sex. Yes. It is about procreation. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. it's it's deeper than that. So this is another. You know, one of the things I appreciate about the film now that I didn't get when I was in high school. So that moment where uh, Robin Williams is quoting uh, to the virgins to make much of time. Um, Gather ye rosebuds while ye may for time is still a flying, and that same flower that smiles today, tomorrow will be dying. That poem, so this whole carpe diem, in, in Renaissance poetry, in Petrarchan, in, in Petrarchan fashion. Um, oh, these, yeah. She's going for the heavy stuff. Heavy academia. I love carpe it. Carpe diem is, that poem was written for women. That poem is written, the, yep. odd, the, the, the subject of that poem is about a 13 to 16-year-old girl. And, and that poem is telling young girls to go get married while they're young because as soon as they get older and they're not as pretty anymore, they, they – um, so the last verse of that – the last verse of that poem goes um, – and uh, and be not sure, but use your time. And for while ye may go marry, the pun is marry, like marry, like happy, and go marry, like go get married. Um, for having once but lost your prime, you may forever tarry. Right? So, like, if you wait too long to go get yourself married, to go get yourself hitched, like, it's never going to happen for you. And when you're a woman and Italian Renaissance society. If you're, you know, you're worthless. That was a big, yeah. That was 
That was or, the deal. Or you join a nunnery. Or the flip side of that, too, is if you wait too long to be happy with the Mary, right? If you wait well, too long to be Well, that's the literal meaning. Yeah, yeah, no, that's the literal meaning, but real, yeah. but but the subtext, the subtext is. So anyway, so what's amazing is Robin Williams is taking, um, is taking this poem, this this Renaissance poem that's very much directed at women, and now it has a male audience, and it's like, okay, young lads. Um, like go live yeah. your lives and go have sex now um, because once yeah. you're not in your prime anymore not that you know men enter their prime way later but still <laughs> right, it's, right. it's a different thing well what I love it, what I love about it is in, in, in that very point is uh, and then I'm gonna, I want to hear what Donnie has to say too but uh, one of the things I really liked about that is that he does say when you read poetry um, it's fine to know what the intent of the author is, but that's not what poetry's for. It's what do you sort of glean from that? What? How does it? How does it mean? How does it perspectify in your own life and your own views? And I and I think that's a really strong message. And I think exactly what you said. Here's a poem that was certainly not intended for men, not at all. But uh, 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 Tom Schulman, who is the writer basically said, I'm going to use this poem in this way because this is how it speaks to me. So, Donnie, why do you well, like I think, this Well, I think that's what it is, right? I mean, you hit on that too, right? It's, it's, it's the perspective when they get up on the desk, when Keating makes them get up on the desk to see the world from a different, from a different POV, right? Um, again, you know, I, 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 this movie, I think, for me, it hits, it hits, it hits home because I don't know that I had... I don't know that I had that inspiration. I don't know that I had those kind of inspirational teachers along the way. Um, you know, I went to, I, I grew up, I went to Catholic school in Chicago from um, basically kindergarten through 12th grade. Um, then I went to uh, uh, state university for, you know, for the two different state universities for four years. I had a lot of cool uh, artistic inspirational teachers in college, which I think is where a lot of people will find those teachers. Um, this movie is, uh, I mean, these guys are in a boarding school. I don't know what the actual age range is, but I'm assuming it's a high school boarding school, right? I mean, there's a younger, yeah, yeah, there's they're a all, little they're boy all... at the beginning of the movie yeah. who's crying because mom is leaving. Yeah. Him. And there's He's a little a boy, boy so. there's a little boy in another point where the guy is sneaking back in and he grabs that piece of bread. Uh, yeah. After being out to visit the the girl he wants to mac on and yeah, so I don't know exact the the exact age range for these guys, but like I'm you know let's say middle school through high school right through twelfth grade. Um, I didn't yeah. have a lot of those inspirational teachers back then. So yeah, this movie and and then some of the ones we'll we'll touch on in 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 my complimentary films. Um, yeah, I think that's why like I will still to this day watch these movies and I'll cry because I I wish I had that. I wish. Uh, my daughter will have that when well, she will have it because, you know, Dr. Winkle is her mom. Um, uh, yeah, I wish I had more of that in my life. And I wish more people had more of these kind of teachers like Keating in their lives. Yeah. All right. Let me, let me ask you both a question. But it's really more for uh, probably Mary Lynn, primarily because she's a teacher. Um, this is one of the things watching it this time around that kind of really struck me. and And part of this is because... Um, and I can tell stories about this, but but I definitely I would say I was a bit more like Jack Black in School of Rock than I was John Keating in Dead Poets Society. But 
I was always the unconventional teacher. In fact, one of the things that the reason I left the Chicago public schools, part of that was I had, I was hired by a principal who really wanted me to kind of create a program that was different, you know, because most of the Chicago public school uh, in seventh and eighth grade, it was learn the recorder and sing pretty simple songs and what I looked at is a bunch of kids that that information, that was like teaching kids in Arkansas how to use plumbing. Mm. It, I mean, it's a pointless exercise. So what I did was my eighth graders, I taught them uh, college music history and listening skills and learning different musics. And the seventh graders, I taught them the physics and the science of how instruments work and different kinds of instruments. And that was what I did. Very different. But one of the things that was very controversial, which it shouldn't be that controversial, was that I didn't have any chairs or desks in my music room. I had carpets and pillows. And because my, and I didn't even have a desk because I kind of wanted it to be, they had, you know, they're sitting in desks for math and for English and for science. I wanted music time not to be unstructured, but to feel different. And uh, by that, I was there 10 years and that 10th year, we got a new principal. And the first thing he came in was he walked into my classroom and said, yeah, we're going to get you desks. And I went, no, that's not going to happen. And that became a year of me battling this this autocrat. Anyway, here's my question. Would Keating's methods be as effective if the rest of the teachers in the school were likewise experimental? If the school was less buttoned down and strict, would his message even resonate with those kids? And that was one of the things that I really thought about is like, because you're talking about like, I want more teachers that really kind of confront and, and push, push children to kind of really see the world and see art in a very unique way. If all of the teachers were doing that, well, then his message wouldn't resonate quite the same that's my question would it and 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 how, how do you guys feel about that question I, i'm just curious uh, look i'm not a teacher i uh, for me oh i wish i wish i wish they would all do it that way like that would be amazing how amazing would it be to be it just like all of it just taught that way there are certain things i can't right there are certain things that need to be taught by rote there's uh, mathematics right science i think right like there are certain things where you need to be at a desk or at the very least in a lab kind of situation, you know, and, and yes, things need to be a little more buttoned down, but English, writing, uh, 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 poetry, music, I, yes, like, get rid of it, make it an open space, uh, that's just me, but go ahead, please, 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 go ahead. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with reciting things by rote, um, there's a way to there's a way to engage kids, you know, like there's the scene. So Robin Williams's character, Mr. Keating, has, you know, his buddy teacher is the Latin teacher, right? Who who tries, who gives yeah. him a hard time at one moment. Um, and and but they end up, you know, they end up having is it coffee together or a smoke together at a certain yeah, point? Even when they have the, that yeah, yeah, yeah. like yeah, yeah. confrontational conversation, you can tell that this Latin teacher is amused by and it's his mutual method, respect. Right? Right, right. Um if anything, the vibe I got from that teacher when he busts into the classroom is kind of like, I'm the veteran teacher, you're a new teacher, I'm hearing a rowdy classroom. I've been there. <laughs> let me let me walk next door and make sure this new rookie teacher has their classroom managed right um, I don't yeah. so I I think that 
with this film, the question is, so the the concept or what draws me into this film, it's not just that Mr. Keating's methods are um, anti-establishment. It's not just that they're, it's not just that they're, um, non-conventional, unconventional. It's that he is authentically, truly committed to the material. Now, who's next? Mr. Anderson, so you're sitting there in agony. Come on, Todd, step up. Let's put you out of your misery. I, I didn't do it. I didn't write a poem. Mr. Anderson thinks that everything inside of him is worthless. And embarrassing. Isn't that right, Todd? Not your worst fear. Well, I think you're wrong. I think you have something inside of you that is worth a great deal. I sound my barbaric yawp the rooftops. World. W, W, Uncle Walt again. Now, for those of you who don't know, a yelp is a loud cry or yell. Now, Todd, I would like you to give us a demonstration of a barbaric yelp. <laughs> come on, you can't yelp sitting down. Let's go. Come on, up. Gotta get in yelping stance. <laughs> uh, a yelp. No, not just a yelp. A barbaric yelp. Yaw. Come on, louder. Yaw. Oh, that's a mouse. Come on, louder. Yaw. Oh, good God, boy, yell like a man. There it is. You see? You have a barbarian in you after all. Now, you don't get away that easy. Picture of Uncle Walt up there. What does he remind you of? Don't think. Answer. Go on. A, a, a madman. What kind of madman? Well, think about it. Just answer again. A crazy madman. Oh, you can do better than that. Free up your mind. Use your imagination. Say the first thing that pops into your head, even if it's total gibberish. Go on. Uh, go on. Uh, a sweaty tooth madman. Good God, boy, there's a poet in you after all. There, close your eyes. Close your eyes. Close them. Now, describe what you see. Uh, I, I close my eyes. Yes? Uh, and this image floats beside me. A sweaty tooth madman. A sweaty tooth madman with a stare that pounds my brain. Oh, that's excellent. Now, give him action. Make him do something. His hands reach out and choke me. That's wonderful, wonderful. And all the time he's mumbling. What's he mumbling? Uh, mumbling truth. Yeah, yeah. Truth like, like a blanket that always leaves your feet cold. <laughs> Forget them, forget them. Stay with the blanket. Tell me about that blanket. You, 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 you push it, stretch it, it'll never be enough. You kick at it, beat it, it'll never cover any of us. From the moment we enter crying to, to the moment we leave dying, it'll just cover your face as you wail and cry and scream. He's authentically committed to the material. He really believes, like, what the reason why he's so engaging is because he authentically loves these words. You know, when he's describing poetry as dripping from your tongues like honey. <laughs> like, that's one of those metaphors that I'm talking about. Like, he, in that moment, he's not actually quoting a poem, you know, but honey is 
a metaphor for poetry and bees are the poets, right? So so even when he's speaking about poetry, he's speaking poetically. So I think that, you know, every teacher, you know, I'm, I'm at a school now where I believe every teacher believes that our, I, you know, believes that our children are citizens of the world and we're all working together to raise um, so civically engaged students, right? So I think right now I'm finally at a school where my staff are all trying to engage um, engage our kids in, in deeply engaging ways. But I think the ingredient that's often missing is mm-hmm. when the is when the teacher is so authentically committed to the material. Right? And so and so okay. if that subject matter happens to be Latin where you're getting your class reciting verb conjugations out loud, choral style. Yeah, there's a super musical way to do that. Um, that can be really engaging. And if you convey to your, to your kids, like, I really love, like, I think Latin is so cool. Latin is a universal language that's existed for hundreds of years. Um, the amount of text that you'll be able to read if, if you can, if you're able to translate Latin, if, if, if you present Latin authentically that way, um, sure. You know, then every teacher could be, could be just as, um, inspirational because they're inspiring okay. in yeah. their particular context. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of, I kind of have the perspective and, and I could be wrong. Um, I've never been in a school as a teacher or as a student where there were lots and lots of teachers that were very open and, and I like, I like the use of authentic, but I also feel um, it's one of the things that just as an artist, I've always felt is that, the greatest, um, and maybe this is because I, I, I follow Dada, I love Dada so much, is that the greatest uh, anti-establishment art, the, the art that really, and, and I, I would argue the teaching and, and behavior, the, the stage set for great um, revelation usually comes under the thumb of great stricture. You know, when, when there's a lot of when there's a lot of rules, it is that rule breaker that 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 shoves that in your face and it, and, it, and it questions the rules that exist. That's just kind of I mean, that's been my experience. I actually would love to teach in a school like yours where it where you've just got all these teachers, because that was what I was when I was in the 90s, when I was a young right out of college teacher was I was that, you know, we're going to have this time in the morning where it's non-scholastic and we're going to call it advisory. And it's just an opportunity for me to sit for 30 minutes with a, a group of kids and just talk to them about life. I mean, I was that kind of guy. Um, so I get that. Here's my second question. And this really bothers me, quite frankly, because I I spend a little time looking at it. Um, This is a really fundamentally inspirational, motivational film. I mean, I watch this movie and I feel like I want to go fucking create some art. I feel like I want to go speak the words dripping from my tongue like honey. Um, His admonitions to the kid is the film the film is him te- it's 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 Tom Schulman and, and and Peter Weir and Robin Williams teaching us the audience all of these uh things 
it seems like, and I, and I could be wrong, and if you guys can think of some, because I, I couldn't find them, it seems like this sort of movie is kind of out of vogue right now. Because I look back for like the last 22 years, like since 2000, and can only see a handful of films where it's, where it's okay, there, there are plenty of films like 12 Years a Slave where it's, here's someone going through massive hardship kind of inspiration. But not very many films where it's, here is... Because no, I mean, you know, there, there's hardship in this movie, but nobody's really, you know, you know, there's not a lot of oppression in the very rich white exactly. kids' school. There's not a lot of so there. It, it just, and I'm wondering, can you think of it, it, are these kinds of movies out of vogue right now, or are they making them? And I'm just not. Well, seeing I them. mean, I don't know if there is even such a thing as these kinds of movies. Like, I, this is the reason why I love the Dead Poets Society so much. I mean, okay, if, if, if you believe that there's a genre of, like, I don't know, inspirational teacher films, <laughs> I honestly... I, mean, I would call it a sub- I would care. call it a subgenre, but yeah, go ahead. I mean, I I don't care for any of them. <laughs> like, and you think you think I would? Oh, no, I'm like she, the yeah. perfect audience for them. So so this film stands out from all of the other inspirational teacher movies for me, because one layer of it is sure there's an inspirational teacher, and sure there. The, these kids are overcoming hardships in various aspects, mental illness, you know, stuttering, uh, speech impediments, um, toxic, toxic masculinity, which I can talk a little bit more about in a second. But um, I, think, I think where this film really stands out, not just from like the genre, but from any movie, like most movies that are made, is because it's telling a story first and foremost and it's authentically connected with its subject matter. And then the messages that you can, like the social messages that you can glean from it and argue about, like those are, those are secondary. And I think the trap that a lot of filmmakers right now are falling into and, the, and have been falling into when, when presenting inspirational teacher movies is the movie is about the message. The movie is about... Oh, uh, we're going to have this, you know, often white teacher character come into an inner city school and save these kids from poverty. And the movie is about a teacher saving kids from poverty or saving kids from or saving a kid from blah, blah, blah. And like, what is it? It's all the blind right? side. Well, and, and what is it that they're teaching? And they're not making me love that subject matter. So I, how well, how much can I sure. believe in the film? If so, so Robin Williams, you want us to pause? No, go, go, go. So, so this, so this movie makes me want to go and actually read poetry, right? right? Like, I believe, I believe that Mr. Keating is inspiring his students to go read poetry because I myself am feeling inspired to go read poetry. I watch most other movies and I'm not feeling inspired to go and do the thing that the teacher is trying to get the kids to do. Right. So, I mean, you asked the question, right? So there's Music of the Heart from 1999. There's Finding Forrester in 2000. There's Aquila and the Bee from 2006. 
There's, uh, what the fuck else? Coach Carter, which we can get into the whole subgenre of inspiring coaches. Okay, so all of these movies yeah. are yeah. like 15, you know, years No, 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 old. they are all right. older, but this is what I'm saying. Like, that's the point that Don's making, right? Yeah, like, that's, that's what I'm saying. Freedom Riders from 2007, yeah. Pursuit of Happiness. You know, which is a terrible know, movie. No, a lot of them are fucking terrible. A lot of them are fucking terrible. But you're right, yeah. like, in the last, I mean, we're in 2022 at this point, yeah, I think these kind of films are, for whatever reason, out of fashion. And if there is well, more of a time where we could have these fucking inspirational things come back, I I can't I can't think of a better time. Well, see, one of the things that that I'll I'll, I'll I want to I want to comment on something you said, Marilyn, is that and I totally get. I don't see the genre of inspirational films necessarily being teacher i actually to be honest with you i don't even see dead poet society as a teacher movie i know mm-hmm. it is but it doesn't fall into that category another robin williams movie that no one really liked um that i find incredibly inspiring is what dreams may come and that is he and annabella shiora and cuba gooding, cuba yeah, gooding yeah. jr and it's really it's really about a guy who's white who dies and then his wife is going to kill herself, and in the afterlife, which looks like a fucking Van Gogh painting, it's the most beautiful, ridiculous movie, and it I find it inspiring. But I well, also it's Dante. find stupid things it's like it's Rudy, Dante, right? It's it, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, Dante. Yeah. That's what it is. But Rudy, Rudy, you know, with uh, you know, I mean, oh, it, a yeah, lot Rudy. of them are sports yeah. movies. Hoosiers. Actually, Hoosiers. I'll give you an example. Yeah. Hoosiers, Hoosiers. Yeah. You know, the thing is, I don't like watching baseball, but if I watch Field of Dreams. I want to fucking go to yep. a baseball game in yeah. the same way that watching Dead Poet Society makes me want to sure. read poetry. And I don't see those kind of movies being made. And I don't know if it's that we're just in a really like this last ever since 2001 with uh, the Twin Towers and the fucking preemptive Iraq war and all of this nonsense that's kind of gone on in the last 20 years up to and including Donald Trump in a pandemic, it feels like we're in a really cynical place culturally. And you don't see a lot of these movies that are being made that give you a sense of hope or a sense of perspective or a sense of that authentic love of art or sports or anything. And I think that's interesting. For me, just a sense of inspiration. You know, like Mary Lynn said, it inspires yeah. me to go read poetry. It inspires me to maybe pick up a basketball or a fucking baseball or go play catch with my dad or read a fucking book or whatever it might be. Play, pick up a guitar and try to learn yeah. it. Whatever. Like, there is no inspiration. Like, we watch all these 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 biopics, or you call them biopics. It's fine. Whatever. You know. Um, we're watching things about people who already made it. And like, oh, good for them. Yay. Where are the inspirational fucking stories about that young kid who didn't know how to fucking read? And someone came along and helped that kid fucking read, and they became, you know, whatever it is. What was the Stephen Hawking movie yeah. that came out a couple of years ago? That one was pretty fucking phenomenal. Oh, uh, um, the Fault, Fault in Our yeah, Stars but the thing or is something? That, that, yeah, but again, that's not a, a, a – and there's I think there's a difference between a documentary yeah, 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 yeah. and a yeah. film that's yeah. a story. The two stories, the two f- movies that were have been made that I re- – I mean, actually, there's three – that really struck me as something that made me want to. I watched the movie, and it made me – it inspired me to go do something different that I wouldn't have mm-hmm. done before. One was Cinderella Man – which is actually a true okay. story. It's uh, it's about the boxer, yeah, yeah. Br- Braddock yeah, the yeah. boxer. Um, Seabiscuit, oh. 
which is Tobey Maguire and the fucking okay. horse, which made me want to go and ride horses, okay. and the pursuit and the pursuit of happiness with Will Smith. These were movies. Again, what I loved about because Will Smith's movie, The Pursuit of Happiness, it, it borders on that. Look how hard this person has it in life, and he overcame it. And I'm, I don't; those are not as inspiring to me as, again, that sort of sense of hope that's beyond the 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 pain is just like here are, here here's a person that is simply. I mean, because I think Rain on Me is actually a pretty inspirational mm. film. Which is uh, about it's nine right, eleven. Right, it's right, Adam right, Sandler right. and I, is it Don yeah, Cheadle? Yeah, yeah. I yeah, think yeah, so. Yeah. You know that's a very inspirational movie. But again, it's about here's somebody that's broken, being saved. Mm-hmm. That's not what I'm talking no, about. Those aren't bra- break, break, I don't need to break, save break, your movies. Break and pick your own pieces up, kind of situation, right? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so all right. So, and Marilyn, you wanted to talk about toxic masculinity. Well, I really I mean, want to hear because the thing about this it is kind of gets into Kurtwood it. Smith is so good in this movie. The, I mean, this yeah. kind of gets into it, which is you know, I think that if you were to ask the screenwriter of the Dead Poet Society if the intent behind their screen the story was to inspire, I doubt they would say yes. Right. I think yeah. that what I I feel inspired, I find myself inspired. But what I glean from the film is that the intent of the story is to make us question what is the what is the human condition? What do we live for? What is mortality? What is immortality? What are what are the things that make us human and what are the things that live beyond us? Right. Hence, even, um, you know, the, the greatest the greatest, uh, I guess, pun of the film, it's called the Dead Poet Society. The, their club is the Dead Poet Society, but they're reviving the Dead Poet Society. They're reviving a dead society. You're, they're bringing a dead society back from the dead. Um, and they're reading a whole bunch of dead poets and also constructing their own living poetry. Um so what makes us human and and like how how are what what are what are the driving forces in our lives sure to procreate right um so sex sex is one of them we will be food for worms so you may as well live your life but then even when we're food for worms like our bodies are being consumed by other things but um but you know, for me, something that I'm thinking about a lot about now as an adult that I wasn't thinking about when I was in high school is, is yeah, the, the extent to which toxic masculinity um, has not only punished, not only punishes women, but, all, you know, all of, our, all of our characters in this film are boys. You know, there are some, there are some background props, <laughs> um, background props props that identify as female in this film but um but 
it shows us the extent to which tax, toxic masculinity impacts young boys' lives and young boys growing up and how young boys are victims of this as well. We see this first and foremost in Neil's father and the tragic, tragic outcome. Um, Kurtwood Smith, Kurtwood yeah. Smith, yeah. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's you know first and foremost, but it also plays out in, in the entire structure of the school. You know, the school has these four pillars: tradition, honor, discipline, excellence. Sounds very militaristic, and the headmaster of the school says these pillars are directly at odds with the nonconformity that you're trying to promote in your classroom, Mr. Keating. And Ralph Waldo Emerson says, for nonconformity, the world whips us with its displeasure. And there is a scene where a boy is being paddled in the headmaster's office for disobeying. Um, So over and over again, you know, in varying degrees, we see men punishing boys for not upholding these masculine, uh, stoic ideals that make the school great, that get boys into, you know, Ivy League schools and and that, that give us our legacy, right? Because to the headmaster, our legacy is... The, is is the most important thing here. And if you think about it, even in our love of poetry, like why do we love poetry? Because by committing a verse later, right? So you may die, you will become food for worms, but by committing a verse to the play, the play will play on, even after the play has ended, right? And so there... There is human connection, you know, there is something that connects us all, which is we're all looking for legacy, we're all looking to live beyond our mortal lives in some way, but there's this dichotomy about how we should go about doing that, right? And you have male characters in this film that think that, you know, the the toxically masculine way to do it is the right way, and then there's the more feminine approach. I think the reason why movies like this aren't made today, it's because there no one is taking the time to do it as well as this film, right? Yeah, like, this film yeah, is just so I well agree. made. That like, the way, like, you could tell that the writer thought deeply about these kinds of questions about society. And then, and then, okay, now how do I depict that in a film that engages not just poetry as something that we see visually, but that engages our ears, right? So there are these musical themes that help structure the entire film. And then there's light and shadow, and then there's metaphor and what we're seeing. And, 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 you know, when, um, when Todd Anderson at the very end of the film is throwing up after he finds out the Neil, like the way that it's so subtle, but they pick up a snowball and they put the snowball in Todd's mouth. And like, you can feel, you can feel the coldness of the snow kind of, you know, choking his vomit back and and calming his stomach. And just that like, that hot and cold sensation that, that these filmmakers make us feel like that it makes this film great. And I think filmmakers today 
just want to get to the message. They just they they seek to write a to make a film that yeah. inspires, and they are trying so hard to inspire well, that they don't do the good filmmaking. Things. Right, or everything is written by committee. You know, or everything has to be done in the next six months for a deadline because a corporation owns the shit and we need to put the movie out. You know, there was an article I read. It was a, a little bit of an oral history between a couple people. And the interviewer asked Todd, uh, Shul- Tom Shulman, the, the screenwriter, this is the last question of the interview. Did you ever imagine that Carpe Diem would have such a lasting impact? And the screenwriter said, I had hoped it would. Why write something if you don't think it's powerful? And I think that goes to your point, Mary Lynn, about like the time that it takes to really make something good and make something special, make something meaningful. I think that might be what's missing in modern filmmaking. You and I, Don, have talked about this throughout our our series here. Um, I think that that's something that that is what's missing right now in modern filmmaking is the time that it takes to make something special make something powerful so yeah 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 all right well let's let's wrap this up what are your final thoughts mary lynn because i know you took five pages of notes so i, I want to give you i want to give you a go, chance to kind of kind of kind of wrap things up for us before we move on to our triple feature talk i mean i guess the last point that i'll make is is a musicological one I, I want everyone to go and rewatch this film and observe the way that um, the recorder and the medieval harp sounds accompany very feminine themes, like when Knox is riding his bike to go meet a girl, you know, and 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 the drums, how how the drums always come out in in the most primitive primal moments. Um, and and then you know the, the very choice moments of in, including popular music and then it it all comes together at the very end. Yeah, that's Maurice. You, yeah, Maurice Jarre is is uh, he's an underrated, in my opinion, an underrated uh, composer, um, and and he did the music for this film. And what I think is the reason I think he's underrated is because he's not bombastic like. Uh, a James Horner or 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 a, or a John Williams. He's really subtle, and 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 everything he does is it, like I said. It's exactly what we're talking about. It's like taking the time to find those Easter eggs, taking the time to say, "I'm going to create music that that has this sort of feminine feel in this moment." That's the kind of care that uh, Jari takes with his scores and because it's not so in your face, let me show you what I did. Let me show you, you know, it's amazing. And it, it just becomes part of the fabric of, of the story. And I think, uh, well, I, I think some that. of the, the uh, Marilyn might be even calling out some of the needle drop selections in terms of, uh, uh, composers music that was used in this film. Not, not well, just the, but, 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 but Maurice, uh, no, no, but sure, the sure, thing sure. is you have yeah, to realize yeah. Maurice Jarry, especially at that time period, because sure. now you have a different kind of music. He chose well, all those pieces well, of music uh, just having, for a specific reason. Well, but having reason. worked in, 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 and working for a soundtrack company and worked for music supervisor, it's a combination. It's the composer does his music for the film, right? It's the director and then the, the music supervisor who then pick out some of those needle drop tunes that end up in the film that are not composed by the film 
composer, right? So the 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 I don't, the I don't know if that's I don't um, know. If- I mean, it is. I'm not sure if that's how Maurice Jarre. Kind of how it works. I, I, I'm not sure that's how he okay. worked. I, no, I know that's how it works okay. now. Look I'm, at the very I'm, at the I'm, very least, it's a collaboration. The com- the film composer does not make the final call as to what music is in the film, right? So, it, it's at the very least a collaboration between the director, the music supervisor, and the composer. Um, I'm going to give Peter Weir the credit for picking a lot of these uh, moments, these needle drops. The Beethovens, the the the, who else? What other composers are in there? There's Beethoven, was one. Um, I fucked it up. I called Mozart. The AT12 Overture. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, he there's whistles the, there's two you know, Beethoven moments. There's right. the Ode to Joy, right. and there's also the Emperor Piano Concerto, mm-hmm. which um. Oh, it was in the choice, office. That's that the office scene. Really with the, yeah, 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 yeah. Towards um, the end, yeah. So yeah, I'm just, I, you know, regardless of the situation, like it's, I, you know, it's a okay. I just, I just want to. I'm God. looking it up. Um, there is no music supervisor in the Dead Poets right. Society. So then it's the director's call. I'll just be. I'm just. Yeah, it was the director and Maurice right. Jarek. It was the. It was the two of them that 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 did this because I, I. That's the thing is I remember reading and then that's the only reason I, I sure. bring it up. I remember reading that Maurice Jari was not. He he didn't like that. That method, the way you described it, that that was too committed sure. for him. He was very, he was very hands on um, with his, and even in '89, needle drop was not as those needle drop moments were not as yeah. prevalent. They they still happened, sure. certainly happened, but not as prevalent. And I like, I, I maybe it's just that I I fetishize Maurice Jarry just a little bit That's too much, right. but I love really love the idea of he and Peter yeah. Weir um, and Robin Williams probably just sitting in yeah. a room going. Yeah, this yeah, is the they got music a fucking, I want they got a, Yeah, I they got a fucking that. bottle of wine, a couple fucking joints, and they were like, yeah, fuck this, I like we're doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's great. Yeah, no, it's phenomenal. Yeah. phenomenal. But it was so, it's, yeah. anyway. <laughs> who, whoever yeah. gets the credit. Sorry. Men are so obsessed about who gets credit. Um, <laughs> women aren't allowed to get credit. So so, so, are, so are women when they're successful. Don't throw it on men. Women are just as credit-oriented when they're successful. When they're not successful... Then it's it's very May feminine. But once they get some the money scene, and some power, they're just as shitty may as I men. I just recall the scene where they invite the girls to join the Dead Poet Society, and they ask about joining, and they're like, "No, no, no, honey, let me read poetry at you, and not actually invite you to read or compose." And they're portrayed like total bimbos. Um, Anyway, they the are. music Although in the film. I love that Melora Walters is one of those girls, and that really made me excited. Yeah, sure. The way this, the music in this film is just like any Star Wars film. Like the like the way each kind of character, each kind of scene has its own light motif. Um, and yes, and the way that it works together with pre-existing, pre-composed music. Um, the way yeah. that, like if you were to not watch the movie and just listen to the soundtrack, you get the same story, which I think is fascinating. Yeah, Mark? I agree. Love All it. right. Well, thank you, thank Mary you, Lynn. Um, when we when when we have when we have the uh, the the Wizard of Oz uh, trifecta, uh, then uh, then then or if you come up with another movie you really want to talk about, uh, for sure, it's been yeah. a pleasure. Thank you thank so much you for being here. Me. All right, love you. Bye. Rock and roll. Thing you do when you start a band is talk about your influences. That's how you figure out what kind of band you want to be. So who do you like? Blondie. Christina Aguilera. Who? No. Come on. 
What? You, shortstop. Puff Daddy. Wrong. Billy. Liza Minnelli? What are you, you guys? This project is called Rock Band. I'm talking about bands that rock. Led Zeppelin. Don't tell me you guys have never gotten the lead out. Jimmy Page, Robert Plant, ring any bells? What about Sabbath? ACDC, Motorhead. Oh, what are they teaching this place? All right, so Donnie, we're in a, we're you know, we're in a, and first of all, thank you for the use of your brilliant oh, life. Rock and roll. Uh, that was. That was excellent. Um, so now we are at the point where we're going to talk about, all right, so we're going to your house or we're going to my house. We're going to watch a double feature with Dead Poet Society. Uh, what's what's your, or a triple feature? Let's just say it's sure. a triple feature because really we're, we're, we're taking it. So here's the triple feature. What's your first, what's your first uh, salvo after watching Dead Poet Society? Yeah, it's going to be a long inspirational night, I guess, in my house if I'm doing this triple feature. But um my first pick, and I'm I'm just gonna go based on the year, uh, 1988's "Stand and Deliver," s- starring oh, yeah. Mr. Edward James Olmos. Yeah, yeah. I you know uh, this is one I I hadn't seen in a very long time. Um, I think it was on Free V or one of those like fucking streaming channels. Uh, yeah, yeah, I just popped it on because I hadn't seen it in a long time, and you know. It holds up in that way that inspirational films from the fucking 80s holds up. You know, uh, Mary Lynn actually was watching a little bit of this one with me. And, you know, I, I don't want to speak for her, but it, it just it it does kind of have that white savior shit to it, even though Edward James Olmos is clearly a Latino. Um, yeah. uh, my other film is also not a white man, but it has, it smacks of that. I'm going to come in here and I'm going to show you what's wrong with what the process is. And I'm going to make all of you better students, which doesn't necessarily fit with the kind of, uh, the vibe of, of dead poets. Uh, oh, I think oh, it does. Yeah, I yeah. think it does well, fit the vibe, you know, I mean, cause inspirationally, really, I mean, that's what inspirationally it, well, but that's what. But that's what Keating yeah. was doing. Was he was saying here, you know, I'm. I, you know, he was stuck in that rigid, that rigid world, and uh, you know, and and even the conversation he has with the headmaster when he's like, I thought education was about getting them to think for themselves, and he says, not when they're uh-huh. seventeen. Teach them the teach them the hard line, and then college will they'll work it out right. for themselves. So I do think I do think it's 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 appropriate, and I actually bristle a little bit about the concept of a white savior. Sure. Um, you know, because I don't think these, I don't, I don't think these movies smack of that necessarily just because, I mean, cause you know, I mean, there are plenty of, plenty of that white savior thing going on, but I love Stand and Deliver. I think it's a very good movie. Um, yeah, it's a lot of teacher. There's a lot of teacher going on in your, in yeah, your list. Yeah, well, well. Your, your triple feature is going to be like, hey, let's, <laughs> you know, when I'm done with your, when I'm done, when done with your triple feature, I'm going to go, yeah, okay, I am going back into I'll, education, I'll, yep. damn it. I'm going to yep, be a I'm teacher. Gonna fix, I'm going to yeah. fix it all, god damn it. I'm going to fix it all, You know, I think all. this movie's yes. great. Um, you know, it's got Lou Diamond Phillips in a, in a great role. Uh, Andy Garcia, one year out of Untouchables in another great role. You know, yep. so... Yeah, just it's it's a cool, solid film. I mean, you know, this takes place in East Los Angeles. I live in Los Angeles. 
yeah, there was just something yeah. about this film I hadn't seen in a really long time, and it and it and it did. I mean, it, it hit those notes for me. Like when I want to watch yeah. like an inspirational teacher film, I've got like a list of five movies probably, and and this is definitely going to be on that top five list. Yeah. Well, you, you, you know, I, well, that was things when I was looking at my uh, my list. I went, I did, I went through uh, several. Uh, versions of my triple yeah. feature. The okay. first one included included. I get I'm yeah, no, no, cheat, go 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 um, go because I'm gonna, but but it included my probably my favorite teacher mm-hmm. movie um, that I've ever seen, and it's because I saw it for the first time in seventh grade in an assembly um, in the middle of nowhere, Kansas. Uh, Sydney Poitier to Sir with Word. Love, and that movie. I don't. I won't. I'm not going to say that movie made me want to be a teacher, but I guarantee you, it certainly yeah. didn't hurt. I really love that's that. That's the. Movie. Uh, they called me Mr. Tibbs. Is that it, or is that no? no that's in no, the heat no, of the in, night. That's in the ah, heat of the shit. night. I always Holy fuck, fuck man. that up. God damn it. Yeah, no, I'm no, fired. No, no, I'm no. fired from this podcast. Is, that's it. Yeah. To to serve with love is famous for it being Sidney Poitier and a bunch of white British kids. Um, it also is famous for the Lulu. Um, very popular. To serve with okay. love. Okay. 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 Boom, 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 right. boom, 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 boom. It was her only hit. <laughs> uh, great movie. Great movie. But I, 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 I kind of went with my teacher movies. Then I backed off of that. Then I went with my Robin Williams yeah, movies. God. Good movie oh. in Vietnam and Good oh. Halting. And then ultimately, after watching it again, I went. You know, I think I'm going to go in a different direction again. So thematically. Um, and I think you'll see the theme when you see my two movies. Uh, my first movie in my triple feature is Pleasantville from 1998. Um, a young Tobey Maguire and Reese yeah. Witherspoon. Um, Jeff Daniels in a wonderful role. And and the, maybe, I would argue, other than Christina Ricci, maybe the most beautiful woman alive, Joan Allen. Oh, God. She's, um, she's amazing. I, I just... I- I think she's such a great actor, and she's so good to look she at. Is, she's just so lovely. She is also very kind. She is a very nice woman. I got oh, to, yeah. I got to meet her yeah. when I was doing my fellowship at Steppenwolf, and she she was, I she did a master class with us when uh, the school at Steppenwolf. She was very, very kind. Absolutely, like I mean, you talk about like statuesque, like just. That oh yeah. god, oh, yeah. just, that, just beautiful she, and just beautiful. She, she, yeah. she, yeah. But but what I love about Pleasantville and and, and the reason I included it uh, as a as a part of the triple feature with uh, Dead Poet Society is Pleasantville is about um, two people going into a very strict, um, very fifties, very traditional. Um, you know, roles are very specific for men and women, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing going into this world and they are like, what the hell? And kind of like Toby Maguire's character doesn't want, cause he's such a fan of the show. He doesn't want to break the rules. He likes fitting in. And Reese Witherspoon is like, well, then I'm going to fuck and smoke. And, you know, I, I'm going to do all the things that girls here don't do. Ultimately, what I love about this movie is in Dead Poet Society, it's Robin Williams sort of revealing to these young, rich white kids in a boarding school that there is more to life than sort of the very strict rules that they've been taught to to sort of Uh adhere Uh to. 
it's to- really the the real change in Pleasantville is Toby McGuire as the kid being the 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 John Keating to Jeff Daniels who is the uh, sort of like the 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 soda jerk guy he owns the he owns the 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 malt uh-huh. shop and but he real but what he really wants to do is fucking uh-huh. paint and he, when he convinces him to paint it becomes this black and white film that becomes this technicolor dream and it's one of the most beautiful i think it's wow. one of the most beautiful things i've ever seen uh, william H- yeah, macy yeah, is yeah. in it yeah it's a, it's a deep um, it's just deep a, ca- i mean deep cast paul jt J- 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 walsh paul walsh. walker don fucking don yeah. fucking knots i mean you know yeah yeah it's, it's a, a really cast. i think it's a spectacular wow. yeah it's a spectacular That's movie fun. and it has i think i think it has the same theme of you have to see the world from a different perspective and when you do you can never that's unseat. interesting. I mean, I'm just looking up Gary Ross. You know, uh, Dave. He directed Dave. Love that. Love that yeah, movie. Yeah. Right. Um, it's a great movie. Big. You know. I mean, b- yeah, all exactly, all yeah. three movies of seeing life from a different perspective. Right. Very, very, That's very exactly fucking cool. Right. I mean, you could even throw Truman Show in 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 there with. That kind of well, thinking, Peter, right? Well, and that's Peter a, Weir, and that's a yeah, Peter yeah, yeah. Weir yep, film yep. who did Dead Poets, uh, Dead right, Poets Society. Right. And I thought about I thought about yeah. Truman Show, but uh, the, the yeah, the thing I, I really walk away from, specifically from Dead Poets Society, is exactly the message that uh, that here are here's tradition. What is it? Tradition, honor, discipline, and excellence. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they carry in the yeah. fucking things. It's it's very rigid. Mm-hmm. You know, it is the criticism of the 50s uh, that the 50s were a very rigid society. Um, I think that really comes from, I don't think that's probably how it was in most households, but I would also argue part of that uh, mythos of the 50s being so rigid like that has to do more with the kids of the 50s becoming the rabble rousers of the sixties and saying, I'm not playing along that really creates a balance and it creates a yin and a yang culturally where you have the Eisenhower generation saying, no, this is how society, this is the MAGA. This is what America should be. It should be respectful. You should listen to your elders. You should do your job and not question it, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then you had the fucking hippies and the, and the Vietnam protesters and the civil rights marchers. And they were like, no, you're missing out on everything. And it caused such an upheaval. Um, but what I like about, uh, uh, Dead Poet Society, and then uh, of course Pleasantville is the idea that once you've kind of gotten comfortable in a type of living, um, you have to shake it up, and the way to shake it up is to either get up on your desk or paint your walls. You know, I mean, that's well, it. and that's yeah. what's interesting too, in a way. Like, you know, was it all of them? Was it the fifty-fifty split? Like, because some of them did become hippies, but then some of them literally became some of them didn't. Uh, fucking the, the 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 founders of the yeah. modern day GOP, for Christ's sakes! Like, oh yeah, well, and that was, and I would argue, I would argue that the founders of the modern GOP were were in part a backlash to okay. the excesses of. You know, the, of the hippies, the, you know, the yeah. George. Yeah. We'll we'll call it we'll call it the uh, we'll call it the McGovern uh, uh, coalition, <laughs> Rainbow Coalition. You know, they okay. they fought back against that, and the way they fought back was to ideologically kind of cement their ideals back in the fifties when they thought things were just Real. better. 
and uh, and yeah, and so that's uh, that's that's what um, I'd say. So what's your my, next? Uh, what's your final final movie in your trip? Yeah, feature? and again, it's gonna be a real long night of inspirational teachers for me. Uh, I'm gonna go with uh, 1989's "Lean on Me," starring Morgan, starring oh, yeah. Morgan Freeman, basically doing his best Barack Obama impersonation before Barack Obama became Barack Obama. Like, I was watching oh, yeah. it, yeah, and yeah. I, dude, I swear to God, I was I just watched it two days ago, and I, I'm listening to the speech patterns. I'm hearing all, uh-huh. all I'm hearing is fucking Barack, and I love it. I loved it. I well, missed isn't he him. Based, isn't he based on a real? Isn't he based on a real character? Uh, isn't the the character yes. Morgan Freeman plays? Is he's based yes. on a real character? Yes, so it's I based on the story of Joe, I, Joe I Lewis he, Clark, was the uh, the, yeah. the the teacher in Patterson, New Jersey. Uh, yeah, he was yes. the baseball yeah, yeah, yeah. principal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yes, but like I just just I, it just was so like I missed Barack so fucking much. While watching this movie, yeah, and I, I did. And by, by the time the the titular song happens at the end of the movie, because um, um, oh, I, I think yeah. it's the, the, the that the school secretary or something comes on stage, and, and right yeah. before they're going to take that test or right before they get the results of the test, um, yeah, and she starts results, she starts yeah. singing the song. Man, I fuck, I start crying. I started fucking crying. Yeah. It, it just, just it got just sucked me right the fuck in this movie. Like I, I love it. I, I. I think I love these kind of inspirational teacher films because I don't know that I had enough of them growing up. And I think for me, I think yeah. for me, like, there were... Well, you went to Catholic school, Yeah, right? I did. And there was the fucking nuns and the habits and the priests and their fucking garb and, you know, the fucking rulers would slapping you on the hands sometimes and stuff. By the time I got to high school, you know, the, yeah, some of the brothers at Marist or St. Rita, if there was a fight going on in the, the, the hallways by the lockers... Oh, the brothers would, they would just, they would grab students and literally, like, they would fuck you up. Like, they would grab a student and throw them up against the fucking lockers and shit. That's how they broke up fights. Like, there wasn't a lot of this kind of, like, dope inspirational shit going on. Uh, I did get to find it in in people like Pat Haynes at Mother Macaulay, um, you know, the the theater director there. Um, She's since retired, um, uh, meeting you there. Um, you know, so I got to find some some really cool inspirational people. Um, uh, I think Patrick Mullaney was his name. Um, he, he, oh, yeah. He, yeah, he yeah. got me into uh, taking classes at Hubbard Street Dance Company downtown Chicago. Um, ultimately, I couldn't afford keep going there. But, it, you know, it was like those were the inspirations that I found through the arts and through theater. But, like, just straight up, like, teachers in high school or, or, or junior high – yeah, I just didn't have it. So I think that's why some of these movies really kind of um, resonate with me is because, like, oh, fuck, man, I wish I had that. And I wish more people had that. I wish everyone could have teachers like Keating, you know? I, so anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why I would pick this one. And yeah. in my final – I love that movie. I think it's a great yeah. pick. Uh, my, uh, my Dead Poet Society Pleasantville – uh, triad is going to end with uh, Scent of a Woman from 1992. It's Pacino as the blind <laughs> guy, you know, but again, and, and Chris Connolly is a young kid, but again, it's one of those things where here's a boy's school, here's a kid, 
He is not a part of the element. He's kind of caught in a controversy. He's, you know, he's kind of, there's this rigid code he's supposed to honor and he's caught in the crossfire. And as a part of his journey, he ends up having to caretake this blind, uh, fucking irascible foghorn leghorn goddamn colonel who you know and it and it just becomes that situation where he learns from this very weird very outsider character he learns a, a, a sense of honor and nobility from him and uh and it's and it's again it's one of those things where it's it, it, we're going to we're going to take a look at the world like here's the kid He's brand new to the world. He's just trying to figure out how to get along. He's caught in confusion. He doesn't know what to do. And his perspective has changed. The standing up on the desk is seeing the world from the eyes of a blind soldier, you know, and and, and just sort of mm -hmm. that and his irascible nature and his refusal to let his disability like define who he is, and it, it it's I just think it's a it's it's a very inspirational movie on a very different level than uh, a Lean on Me or uh, a Stand in the Oh sure, I, it, it, I find it very inspirational nonetheless, and a great goddamn performance by uh, oh by yeah no so. phenomenal. What 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 fascinates me is this is Marty Brest coming off of Midnight Run four years earlier, and then four yep. years earlier Beverly Hills Cop. So, yeah, I, I know. I, you know, like um, action movie, kind of buddy cop movie, and then uh, a kind of buddy, like fuck up buddies movie, like a road trip fuck up buddies movie with Midnight Run. And then this, which is also a buddy, a buddy film in a way. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Really. I mean, really interesting. And then, of course, the fucking poor guy got thrown into Hollywood jail for fucking Geely, which. What do well, you want to do? Let's let's admit, hey, you know, you're always going to have a turd uh, in the punch bowl, and as uh, as I've heard, the turd in the punch bowl is no longer punch. It's just yeah, shit I you know I I after everything you've done though that last I guess yeah you're right if you leave There's if you're no at the party the and everyone's having a good time with you at the party and you leave the party and you shit in the punch bowl with Geely. That's all anybody I remembers. Fuck. Well, I mean, it's like, well. to me, it's like my third, it's like my third, my third marriage. Everything, you can look at the whole thing and it's a really great marriage until the last two and a half well, years. And that reveal makes it the worst fucking marriage ever. Yeah, and you ever. know what? And it's What's just, funny, you know, because we're, we're still, while we're recording this, we're still in October. We're still in Halloween movie month. You and I had a conversation a couple of years ago about Hereditary. And I said, I said, yeah. that fucking movie had me by the balls until the last 20 minutes. And then I was laughing at the fucking film for the absurdity that I was seeing. It was, uh, it was un unreal, the absurdity. But the rest of the yeah. film was outstanding. So we'll see. And it's one of those things. Yeah. I, it's sort of like, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of, and I think hereditary is the same as a lot of movies. Um, to me, it's, it's, it's sort of my Stephen King rule. Cause no one is worse at endings. Oh. Yeah, can't King. stick it. Can't stick the landing. He 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 does know how to stick the landing, and I always go back to uh, AI. Uh, oh yeah, Spielberg. yeah, 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 yeah. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do, do the, Kubrick. You know. And yeah. the thing yeah. about it is, yeah. Well, and the thing is, I think it's a brilliant movie if you end 
before the third act yeah. starts. If you remember, yeah, the get film, rid of the ice. Get rid of the ice him. section. He's yeah. Fro- yeah, he's well. He's frozen at the bottom. He's staring at the blue fairy. He is Pinocchio in and the, movie. the fucking yep. movie. Yep. And but then when you have the fucking aliens come in and pull him out of the ice, I don't no. give a shit. I don't no. care. It ruins no. the movie. So whenever I watch that movie, and I have watched it since, Blue Fairy. Stop, and then I stop watching. I'm not going to watch it anymore. That's all go. I want. And that is satisfying yeah. for me. Word. What movie are you looking forward uh, to seeing? Our, our choices couldn't be more different today. Let us do today. some trailers. Here we yeah. go. Our... our our choices couldn't be more different. You want to do yours first you do, or mine? Let's do yours because I don't even know what it is. I don't All even right. know what it is. All right. So here is my choice for a movie I'm very excited to see. You want to dance the mask? You must service the composer. If you're here, then you already know who she is. Lydia Tarr is many things. As a conductor, Tarr began her career with the Cleveland Orchestra, Chicago Symphony Orchestra, the Boston Symphony Orchestra, until she had last arrived here at our own New York Philharmonic. In 2013, Berlin elected Tarr as its principal conductor, and she's remained there ever since. Lydia Tarr has also written music for the stage and screen. She is one of only 15 EGOTs, meaning those who have won all four major entertainment awards. Thank you for joining us, Maestro. Thank you. How's the writing going? Not so well. I keep hearing something. Schopenhauer measured a man's intelligence against his sensitivity to noise. Do you ever find yourself overwhelmed by emotion? Yes. Yes, it does happen. That is mine. Tar, Kate wow. Blanchett. Yeah. Um, it, 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 you know, it's, it's, well, what the, there are two things that I'll say that I really, number one, I went to, uh, with my mom and my cousin to the Wichita Symphony. Okay. And the Wichita Symphony, the Wichita was Symphony was fine. Um, it, you know, my mom was like, how wonderful it was. And what did you think? And I said, well, the viola section sucked. <laughs> 
And she was like, how do you know? And I said, that's just how I listened to symphony orchestra. I, I can tell you that the woodwinds were very good. The brass are all too old or too young. And the viola section just was really, really morbidly out of uh-huh. tune. I said, but the thing that's really interesting was that the, the conductor didn't do that thing that I want to see in a conductor, which is, you don't, by the time you get to the concert, you don't have to just keep time. That's the show. That's the show. That's when you do a little bit of dancing. That's where you're moving. That's where you're flailing. That's where you look like you're fucking list or you're crazy. You're Toscanini. What I love about this is Tar looks like Tar looks like here is an eccentric genius. She was Bernstein's protege. Um, She's a real woman. Serious problems. And effectively, um, she gets canceled for reasons you'll have to see the movie to understand. Um, it is a really interesting, I think, uh, examination of the bubble that high-end, high-financed art creates mm-hmm. and the privilege that that in, engenders and how far it f- one falls when you've been in that bubble and you are suddenly tossed sure. out. Sure. Yeah, I, I, you know, I love love Kate Blanchett. I, you know, fucking, oh, yeah. fucking she, I just think she's a, 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 two national treasures, right? Two different country, world, yeah, worldwide, yeah, yeah, worldwide yeah. treasure. Let's just call her, right? I mean, and all I can say is anybody that can do tar and has also been in Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> um, okay, fair. She's a she's a fucking fair rock enough. Star. She's she's fair, she's my fair fucking enough. favorite. Man. I actually only know. Um, Todd Field as an actor. Uh, I know yeah. that he's directed some some very uh, I don't want to say controversial, but 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 heavy, heavy. Let's call them heavy, heavy, heavy. movies, right? I've not seen yeah. a single fucking one of them. Uh, in the bedroom, little children. I, I've not not seen any of them. Oh, I think they're yeah. Wonderful. No, I mean clearly, clearly, like. The guy is yeah yeah no I think he's a, I think well he's got that Noah is it Noah Wombach? Noah Bombach um, is that right yeah Bombach, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's 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 not quite that same level but it's it's who it's is that the other one who is who is the fuck. other one with um uh uh what is it uh fucking um men men little men and children children and men what is oh, it shit. um hold I know on. you're talking about another um, heavy fucking filmmaker. Who I've n- I've never yeah, seen yeah, the movies. Yeah. I've just never seen the fucking movies because I'm like, I get it. That sounds cool. See, you don't like, like. Yeah, you don't like that. You don't like being abused by the story. No, you, you, you well, don't, yeah, that's not your jam. I, mean, I do. yes and no. You know, I mean, look, what did I watch? But the fucking Gaspar Noe's fucking climax was. I mean, you get I, you get it, slapped it, over the fucking eyeballs with that goddamn movie. Like, that's why, you know, it's, that's so, why it's wonderful. Yeah, yeah it's why it's yeah. wonderful. What is that fucking filmmaker now? Now I got to fucking find it. God damn it. It's not going to happen right now, but All right, well, everybody while, let me know. While you're looking, yeah, uh, go ahead. let's play your what you're looking for, and we couldn't we couldn't have something more different for in terms of what we're looking forward to. Here we go. You ain't driving, are you? I steer a little, but the ranger do my sword. <laughs> this is my fourth year at the center. How about you? I started the whole damn thing. Oh, oh, oh! It's Christmas! We decided that you could have one 
gift. Early. What is it? That is a direct hotline to Santa Claus himself. I can talk to Santa. All right, revelers. Welcome to your worst Christmas ever. Let's go! You have $300 million in your personal vault. That's what I want for Christmas. <laughs> I don't want any trouble, okay? Something's gonna scooch up that chimney. <laughs> Who is he? Because it's not your typical mall Santa. Santa, are you there? Daddy said you were very busy tonight. My name is Trudy Lightstone. Are you going to help us, Santa? Yeah, Trudy. Santa? No, my nice list. Santa Claus is coming to town. Seasons beatings. Who the hell are you? Boss, what if he really is the There's real? No such thing as Santa. These bad men, they're all on my naughty list. Naughty. That's naughty! And what do you do to the naughty ones? I give them a lump of coal. Where is it? I gotta watch. I believe in you, Santa. Come on. Which one of you did that, Prancer? So unprofessional. Violet Night. You motherfucker. I had not seen this. Yeah. But it's 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 Santa Claus is John Di Wick. Well, it's, it's the it's, best thing it's, I've ever it's seen. It's Die Hard starring Santa Claus is what it is. Yeah. 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 I. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God! It's David yep. Harbor, and I love <laughs> David <laughs> Harbor. Johnny Legs. Johnny Legs, Johnny Legs is the yep. bad guy, and that makes yep. me happy. Uh, yeah, fucking oh my Bever God, Beverly D'Angelo coming out of nowhere. Come on, yeah. man. I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. When, I'm a hundred percent in. Here, here's the log. When a group of mercenaries attack the estate of a wealthy family on Christmas Eve, Santa Claus must step in to save the day. That I mean, fuck you! Come on, I'm, I'm down. I mean, I'm down because it's, it's not even a it's, guy. It's so. It's stupid, not even a guy. But it's, it's not even a mall Santa Claus. It is the actual no, fucking Santa it's, Claus. It's actual. Oh Santa my Claus. god! This I kicking the cannot, shit out of. I cannot I, fucking I wait. Miss it. This director. I gotta tell you, this this is one I'm gonna see in the theaters. I'm not gonna wait for streaming. I'm seeing this fucking this, movie this, in the theater because this. I was saying, this looks this like, director is fucking wild. His one of his first movies yeah. was a movie called Dead Snow, and it's about a, 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 a it's a group of students surviving a, a Nazi attack. In the mountains of Norway, but they're but they're I, zombie Nazis. They're not just Nazis. They are brought back to I life. Fucking that. Nazis. Yeah. Dude, um, I can't wait to see that. This is gonna be and because this drops sometime in what, November, right? So please yeah, go well, check yeah. this well, out for Christmas. This be... Go check this Christmas movie out. This might be well, we're, I mean, my new is... favorite Christmas movie. I don't yeah. know yet. 
I don't know yet. Well, the thing is, you know, the thing is, what we're going to do next episode, we're going to talk about Thanksgiving movies. We're going to, in December, talk about our favorite Christmas movies. I'm hoping this becomes... Oh it's yeah, like one of my oh, it has to be because I my all all my favorite Christmas movies are just other than Christmas Vacation are just dark and stupid and that this looks like it's perfect. I am I am from if this movie stands up I am from here on yeah. calling it it is Christmas Vacation it is Die Hard and then fucking this fucking movie I can't wait. I can't wait. Well, see, see, I, so I would say Christmas Vacation, The Ref. Oh, the fucking um, Ref. I love whole, The Ref, too. That's, all right. That's, all right. That's my, all right. All right. All right. All right. All right. We'll talk. We'll Christmas talk at my house would be like 19 hours of films. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. Well, all right. So that is our Word. episode uh, this week. Uh, again, thank you to uh, your yes, lovely yes, wife, yes, Mary Lynn. Um, for her for her great thoughts and notes on the Dead Poet Society. Um, for our next episode, we are going to do something unusual. We are going to talk about, each of us is going to come up with our top three Thanksgiving Woo! movies. Movies, movies, and, and that's, it, it's a harder task than oh, yeah. you think because there's just not that yeah. many movies that are set at Thanksgiving, right. but uh, that is the, that is our task. We are going to talk about our three, our top three Thanksgiving films. So you will get treated to six different movies centered around Thanksgiving, so that when you are with your family and you can't stand to hear your uncle talk about Donald Trump for five more fucking seconds, you will have a playlist of which to show and watch with your family. To shut them the fuck up. All right, that's the show. Thank you, sir. Carpe diem. Talk to you next week.